Good morning, everybody. Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that our hearts and minds may be open to know your truth and your way. Amen. Today the scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians, uh, 1st chapter, verses 10 through 18. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with elegant wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. <clears throat> the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh yeah, y'all, we got ourselves a good old church fight going on in here. And if you've never seen a church fight, well, you haven't gone to enough committee meetings. Because, uh, man, they are good when they get going. It's like, we're going to spend the money on missions. And then, what's that? You, you want to spend it on evangelism? Really? And then the committees start to divide up. The budgets get slashed, and it gets good. It gets real good. Us, us pastors, we live for church fights. It's our bread and butter. We love it. Uh, and this, no doubt, is a church fight going on in the Church of, Cor uh, in the church of Corinth. Um, and you all thought the Bible was irrelevant. Here it is, 2,000 years later, church fights still going on. But no, 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 no. We don't have church fights anymore. Certainly not. No. We don't argue about whether Scripture is inerrant or infallible. Uh, no, no, we don't, we don't argue about that. We don't certainly argue about, like, LGBTQ issues in church. No, nope, not going to do it. Not touching it. We're not arguing about that. Uh, we certainly don't argue about, like, what decorations we should put on the altar, ever. Never had that argument before here, or any church I've ever worked at. Uh, no, we certainly don't argue about, like, uh, the style of music and the hymns and the song selection. No. No, we don't argue about that. Man, this uh, verse, this uh, thing we call the Bible, is scarily contemporary for today. Is it not? It's like, it's like the, the thing that remains consistent and constant throughout all of human history is, well, it's humans, isn't it? And it's like the problems they were dealing with back then are problems that we still encounter today. And maybe Paul has some wisdom 
for us out of 1 Corinthians? What can we glean from this passage? So we find ourselves today hearing from the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, which is a little bit of a misnomer because it's not really a book. Uh, right, written by a guy named Paul. He used to be came, uh, used to be known as Saul, but he changed his name, and that's a topic for another time. But a little bit about him: he uh, was a, a persecutor of the early church, and he wrote a good portion of the New Testament. Out of the 27 books in the New Testament, he's attributed to about 13 of them. If you're keeping track, that's a lot. Uh, and there are some that are disputed by scholars. Some would say that's sort of Paul-like. Maybe someone used his name to gain notoriety. Uh, but there are seven letters that are sort of um, indisputed among scholars. They are certainly Paul to the very core. And if you are wondering because you're a nerd, I have them for you right here. So sharpen that pencil or get that pen ready. It's First Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. Those are the undisputed letters of Paul. And you can picture, like, how this is going down. Uh, because, as I said, it's not really a book of 1 Corinthians. It was really a letter. Uh, that's how most of these New Testament documents came about. The Gospels are an exception, but for the most part, they're called epistles, and they're, they're letters. In, in the ancient world, uh, they were written sort of by dictation. And so you can kind of picture Paul, right? He's, he's walking back and forth. He's, he's hot. He's mad. You know, the stupid Corinthians, you know, they're not listening. Uh, apparently people are fighting about stuff, and he's going to say, uh, okay, scribe person, uh, get a pen, take a note. Here we go. And he's thinking of the words, right? He's like, okay, start with the beginning stuff. The stuff I always begin with. Paul, an apostle, servant of Jesus Christ, yada, 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 yada. Get all that out of your system, right? Okay, to the point. Here we go. Um, I plead. I hear that there are um, the division. Y'all are fighting. This is stupid. Why are they doing this? Uh, you're quarreling. They're quarreling. Quarreling among you. And so I pray that you would stop it. I pray that you would just get over it. Uh, I don't know. Apologize. Move on. Um, no, no, no. I pray that you would be... you. United. That sounds much nicer. Put that in there. Uh, so you can picture how he's sort of dictating and working this out. Uh, he had no idea. This was a letter. He, Paul had no idea that this would be canonized some centuries later and put into our Bible. But uh, the church believes it to be inspired and it's part of it. And it, it informs us to this day. And so this is the letter that we stumble across this morning. The central message of 1 Corinthians can really be summed up in chapter 1, verse 10. And it says this, right, Jacob? It says, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Now, this uh, is a very interesting word, this united. Uh, we happen to be United Methodists. Uh, that's where we are today at United Methodist Church. Uh, but this word is, uh, has this connotation that Paul hopes they will sort of return to a state that once was. So it's like they used to sort of be of oneness, and now they have become fractured or broken. And he is sort of praying that they would come back to this unity that they have experienced in the past. And this is uh, what he's going on and on about for the rest of 1 Corinthians, because there's a difference here between united, or being in union together, and conformity. 
Paul isn't saying, I want you all to be like the exact same thing that I'm thinking right now. He says you need to be united together as one body. The difference between united and conformity is that a unity allows for a certain diversity, and conformity does not. If we all have to conform to a dress code and all wear red shirts, then we're all wearing red shirts. You wear a green shirt, you're right out. Uh, but really, uh, this unity allows for a diversity. And I have a professor who said the, the problem of the 21st century is a problem of diversity. And if you think about it for a second, that makes a lot of sense. Because in the ancient world, you were born, you grew up, and you died basically all within five 10, 20 miles of where you were born at the most. There was no car. There was no rail. All the seafaring vessels really stayed close to the coast. And uh, if someone came and visited your town who was from way over there, and they had different cultures or customs, they were like from another planet. It was very strange. And so the ancient world was far more homogenous than it was diversified. Don't get me wrong, there was diversity in the ancient world, but they were in pockets of sameness. You all shared the same language, cultures, icons, rites and rituals, governance. All this was the same. And so when they saw someone that was different, it truly was unique and different to them. Fast forward 2,000 years later, and we live in a very, very diverse time. And the question that we have to wrestle with is how do we maintain a sense of unity when there's so much diversity around us? What are our options going forward? The letter talks about the sort of factions that have arose in the community, and Paul is pretty upset, to say the least. He's like, I can't believe some of you say that you are following this guy, or this guy, or this guy. And he names a few. He names Apollos who we find out a little bit later on in 1 Corinthians, was a learned Jew. He's a preacher out of Ephesus, which should sound familiar. That's Ephesians, another letter that Paul writes to another church that he started. And so Apollos is sort of teaching over there where Paul set up a church in Ephesians. He's learned, he's smart, and the dude can talk. He is a great... uh, user of rhetoric, an orator. He uh, knows how, unlike me, to really get the room on his side. And Paul later is like, ah, that guy, slick tongue, but the gospel don't need it. It's fascinating what Paul's sort of building here. Another person that he brings up, some people say, I am of Cephas. Now, Cephas might sound familiar, um, but if you don't know Aramaic, you're going to miss it, and that's okay. I'm assuming no one speaks Aramaic in here. I'm correct. Okay, so uh, 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 Cephas is Peter, Simon Peter. He's the apostle. He's the guy who walked on the water, and Jesus plucked him up. He's the guy who went to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's the one praying in the garden with Jesus. This is the apostle Peter. And apparently the church of Corinth, people are saying, well, I follow Peter. I don't follow that one. And there are people who are saying, I follow Christ. And this is where Paul loses it. He's like, this is ridiculous. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified? 
No, it is the singular act of Christ that unifies us together. It is through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that Jesus gives birth to the church. Jesus died for the church as a whole, as a unified body. Paul's using this sort of rhetoric, and the uh, expected answer is, well, no, Paul wasn't crucified. No, Christ has not been divided. You can hear it. Paul's building this case. Christ cannot be divided. He saved and sustained the church for, for mission and for the world. And there's only one body. Jesus prayed this to his disciples, too, as they were gathered. I pray that you would be one, as we heard about earlier in our children's message. And a final note about this passage is that last bit that Paul says, the cross is like foolishness, but to those who are perishing, it's, it's good news. Paul doesn't rely on his ability to sort of convince you with fancy words and rhetoric. He says the gospel of Christ stands by itself. The gospel is that God loved the world and came in the flesh and showed us how to live and suffered and died and rose again, and you can partake in that life. And you don't need any fancy words, a fancy degree or education to understand the beautiful simplicity of the cross. I wonder if you hear us at all in this letter. I wonder how many of you have friends that say, well, I go to the Presbyterian church. Or uh, me, I, I really like Martin Luther, so I, I'm a Lutheran. Me, I'm a Wesleyan. I go to the Chapelwood United Methodist Church, so I follow John Wesley. I belong to Mr. Wesley. Some of you might know there are folks that say, well, I belong to the Wesley Covenant Association or the Good News or the Confessing Movement in the United Methodist Church. I believe that uh, we've gone astray, so I've built it up around this sort of thing. And friends, as a, as a leader in the church, I mourn over the fractions and divisions that I see in the body of Christ. I think it's the complete antithesis to what Christ had in mind for us. It was Christ who said that a, a house divided cannot stand. As a church, friends, we have to fight and strive for unity. I think in this nation, as a citizen, we have to fight and strive for unity. As a, as a human living on planet Earth, we have to fight and strive for unity, because if we are not careful, our divisions will kill us. We have to fight and strive for unity together. We are one body in Christ. So I don't know, maybe my rhetoric has failed, or maybe my rhetoric has won you over, and you agree. We must find a way to figure out how to get along in this very, very diverse world. Okay, I'm going to assume you agree because no one's left yet. Good. But you might be asking the question, great, I agree. How in the world do you want to do that? Because I look at the news and that ain't happening. I go to the water cooler at work and people are disagreeing with me with the, my style of dress. And so it's just a shirt, people. Why are you yelling at me? Uh, clearly, we don't know how to get along in this diverse world. Well, I want to offer three steps to consider as we struggle with what it is to be unified in such a diverse world world. The first thing I want to offer is very easy. It's not. Is that we just simply listen. 
Now, I know you're saying, I know. We tell our children to listen all the time. I tell my spouse to listen to me as I'm correct, uh, right? We say, listen, listen, you're not hearing me. Listen, listen. Really, it's because we're bad at listening, if we're honest. Have you ever sat at a table with somebody, just you and them, and the walls fade away, and you're having conversation with them, and you begin to feel a little bit of what they're feeling? And you begin to ask questions, tell me why you did that. Or I can understand why you acted that way. Or say more about the time your mom did that. That sounds like it caused pain for you. That's what listening is. When you're being present fully with somebody. And you feel yourself hearing them for the first time with new ears. Friends, we don't do that in this society at all. Oftentimes we wait for our turn to talk. But listening is very different, very challenging. We have to listen to each other. The second thing I want to offer is what Dr. Richard Mowat Fuller calls practicing convicted civility. Convicted civility. That is that I hold my views and you hold your views and that's okay. And we should expect them to butt heads and clash because you hold your views and I hold my views. The way to do that civilly is to simply state my views and then to ask questions. Tell me more about why you think we should tax those people. Tell me more about how you think our government should work this way. Tell, you, tell me more about why you think baptism does this. Tell me more about your view of God in this way. It's when we truly listen and we engage in sort of this, I'm not trying to demonize you. I'm not trying to say, you are definitely wrong and going to hell. It's like when we truly listen to one another, then we can practice convicted civility. Notice you don't have to change your views. You can say, here's what I think about that. And then just say, what do you think about that? It's a way to remain civil with one another and to seek unity in our diversity. And the third and final thing that you can do, when I first heard this, I was like, that's right, but that's very silly, but that's really profound. Let me see if I can explain it. Here's the third thing you can do, is recognize that you're probably wrong. Uh, is recognize that you're probably wrong. And let me say this, you hold the views you hold because you believe they are correct. Nobody in this room holds a view that they believe is incorrect. Because if you did, you would change it. Therefore, all of you think you are right. I think I am right. If I didn't think I was right, I would change it. But what if I'm wrong? Because last time I checked, no one holds the market on truth, except for one person, and that's God. And ain't none of you God, certainly not me. It's when we relinquish that sort of, I have the monopoly on truth, and we give it to the person who is the truth, that it should cause us a little bit of humility. It should change our hearts, and we say, I hold my views now a little more loosely because I could be wrong, 
it's quite possible I'm wrong. So I think as we practice our unity together in this diverse world, if we hold our views a little more loosely, if we take time to be uh, kind of convicted in our civility, and if we take the time to listen, we will truly be unified. And may it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.